Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. We're in a series which is called Legacy. I love that we have um, baptisms during Legacy. Thank you very much. love that we have baptisms during Legacy because there's something about just leaving uh, a legacy that's powerful in people's lives. We have a statement that we've been saying uh, during our Legacy series, and that is this, that Legacy is not about what we leave for people, but it's more about what we leave in people. And I tell you what, there's something amazing and uh, just so exciting about baptism as we leave an, an, an amazing work in people's lives. And so, uh, as Rich talked about already, um, our legacy offering uh, does go towards our vision. Uh, you saw a bunch of that for, um, uh, for this year, which is exciting. Uh, it's about bringing growth and transformation to our city and beyond. But also, uh, it's about our own personal transformation. It's about God using this time to grow us and expand us. We do legacy not just because there's things to achieve, but more so because of the people that we want to become. And so what we're going to do uh, today in the message is we're going to um, begin today by reading a verse from the Old Testament book of Haggai. Um, Haggai was a, was a prophet, and uh, this Old Testament book is set about 520 B.C. Um, so as Israel, who are, are God's people um, in the Old Testament, have so they've returned from captivity, and they're about to rebuild the temple of God, which had been destroyed. And so what happens in Haggai is that Haggai motivates the, the, the leaders and the people of God to consider their current economic and spiritual circumstance and then to renew their efforts to, to restore the temple. Haggai challenges them to consider their ways to observe and orientate themselves with their situation. And so we're going to read this verse from Haggai. It's uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. It'll be on the screen behind me there. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is a time, is it, sorry, verse 4, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Just an inspiring, you know, verse for you to start off the, start off the message on this, uh, you know, wonderful Sunday morning. But we see here that, um, that Haggai actually rebukes the people of Israel, for living a self-focused life that has forgotten God. And he asked the question about their fruitless prosperity. He asked, he asked, has it brought about the satisfaction that you actually hoped for? It was a word that, you know, really cut to the core of the Israelites' heart. And I believe it cuts to the core of our hearts today as well. It's incredible, uh, I think, that ancient writings of, you know, well over two and a half thousand years ago can speak so powerfully to our current, you know, consumer culture that we all live in. Maybe that's because it's not actually an economic issue. Maybe it's a heart issue. And the human heart down through the centuries, down through the millennia, has, has always had this challenge that God wants to speak 
into. As the uh, US oil tycoon uh, G.D. Rockefeller once answered when asked how much money was enough, his response was just a little bit more. In the early stages, this was going to sound random, but I'll get somewhere in a second. But in the, in the early stages of, um, of aerial warfare, there was a system that was used by um, military strategists to help pilots think through um, what to do when they were like locked in combat with an opposing plane. So they came up with this acronym called ODA, um, not the what happens here on a Friday night when teenage boys comes, come together, something, something slightly different, right? So, so ODA, so O-D-A, and, and it stood for um, observe, decide, and then act. Now, this was the time in history when uh, your lawnmower in your um, garage at home probably has a better engine in it than these fighter planes had, right? So this is, this is, this is, this is way back, right? And so the, the, the thought pattern was, instead of just jumping into aerial combat with a preconceived, you know, and already formulated plan, pilots would first observe, so they, they would literally look around, you know, it's like, have you seen the old movies? It's like the old, it's the shaky plane, it's the jet star, sorry, I mean, it's the, like the shaky plane, like the going around, and you sort of, you know, the pilot's looking over their shoulder there, and so they would, they would simply look around, they would first observe. Then, out of the knowledge of that observation, they would make a decision, so that's the decide part, so they observe their surroundings, see what's going on, then they would decide, and then they would act. You know, am I going to do like the barrel roll here, or come over the top, or is, was it Red Baron? Was that the, that the name? You know, am I, am I going to dive and, and do this? What's, what's going on here? And so, that this was going well in these early stages of aerial warfare until the speed complexity and flexibility of fighter planes started to increase dramatically. In, in the mid-20th century, a, um, a U.S. Air Force colonel by the name of John Boyd, he added an extra O. And so it moved from ODA, uh, you know, you seven teenage boys on a Friday night, to UDA, so O-O-D-A. He added an extra step. And so it, it became observe, orient, decide, and then act. You see, pilots could no longer just look out of the cockpit window and, and see the enemy. It was moving too fast now. They had to make use of, you know, instrumentation and additional info from their commanders and all these, all these different things that, that, that were happening. They had to trust in something outside of themselves that would have a better understanding of the reality of the situation and, and help to form a better plan. You see, when we simply observe from our own set of eyes, we, we lack the full picture. And we can fall victim to our deceptions and lies and half-truths. And as we go about our daily lives, we're observing constantly what the world says about generosity, about finances, about consumerism, about investment, and about security. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite authors, a guy called Richard Foster, uh, in his book, Freedom of Simplicity, says this. This is in 1981, by the way. He, he says this. Here's the quote. Contemporary culture is plagued by the passion to possess. The unreasoned boast abounds that the good life is found in accumulation, that more is better. In, indeed, we often accept this notion without question. 
with the result that, um, that the lust for affluence in contemporary society has become psychotic. It has completely lost touch with reality. Furthermore, the pace of the modern world accentuates our sense of being fractured and fragmented. We feel strained, hurried, breathless. The complexity of rushing to achieve and accumulate more and more threatens frequently to overwhelm us. It seems there is no escape from the rat race. That's, that's 81. I, I, I would say that's probably fairly accurate in 2023 as well. And, and here's my point about uh, military strategy is this, is that if all we do is observe, if we get stuck in an odor loop in a year seven, you know, not enough links Africa, you know, loop, if we get stuck in this like observe, decide and act type of loop, what happens is we get caught in the same trap as the rest of the world, striving to reach for more and more, assuming it will fill the void of meaning, peace or achievement that as humans, we all crave. You see, we need a different set of eyes. We need a wider lens. We need some instrumentation to guide us and orient us so that we can make decisions and act as disciples of Jesus Christ in this world that we find ourselves in. Can can I put to you that this verse sums this up really well? Psalm 119 verses 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What, What does that mean? It means that the word of God can help us to, it's our instrumentation. It can help to orient us when we live and, and breathe in this world of, uh, you know, this, just this, this lust and this craving for more. And if I have this and then I have that, and if I keep up with the Joneses down the street, and if I, if I do all this, then I will be happy. But what we want to do is we want to orient ourselves with the Word of God. And so today, um, we're, we're going to look at Uh, Very quickly, next 15 minutes, we're going to look at three barriers that I believe often stop us from becoming the generous, God-centered people that we're called to be. We're going to use the instrumentation of the Word of God, and, and, and we're going to not just you know, observe, but we're going to orient ourselves to the world that we live in so that we can then make a decision and then act. So can I humbly propose that these are in all of us to some degree. These, these are in my life as well. They're in your life. They're in all of us to some degree, but God has called us to something different. Number one is this, the first barrier uh, to generosity is that we treat the temptation of greed lightly. We treat the temptation of greed lightly. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19 says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that they may be, um, sorry, so that they may take hold of that which is to come. The problem for a, a, a lot of times is that we read that and we read those first four words, as for the rich, and we're like, awesome, not me. Not, 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 not me. We, we, we think that that verse is for everyone else. You know, it only applies to some, you know, tech tycoon with, with billions or, you know, only apply, applies to the Kardashians or, you know, only applies to, you know, government and political leaders that have $25,000 dinners. Is, is that current? Anyway, we won't, we won't go there. You know, it, it applies to everyone else, but not 
me. Uh, I read a great book recently um, by a Perth guy called Joel Francis. Uh, the book's called The Barefoot Disciple. Uh, it's a play on the famous um, Scott Pape, I think is the author's name, the uh, Barefoot Investor, uh, which you may know. I'd highly recommend it, particularly for young adults. With a warning, it is severely challenging, particularly against consumer culture. But anyway, that's my you know, one book recommendation for the day. But um, this is what he said in his book. He says this. I visited givingwhatwecan.org to see where an Australian adult without dependents, he's an accountant, so I guess a bit nerdy, right? Working full-time and earning minimum wage sits on the current global scale. To do this, I entered the 2020 Australian full-time minimum after-tax income of $34,500 into the website. Guess what the results were? People earning this income are in the top 10% in the world. That's right. Minimum wage in Australia makes you richer than 90% of people alive today. Even after adjusting for purchasing power parity, minimum wage in Australia still puts you in the top 20% of global income earners. 15 years ago, TomTom Tom released Sat Nav um, Navigation for hundreds of dollars. Now it's free with Google Maps. I used to go to the video store to rent videos for $6. Now for $10 a month, I can access almost unlimited streamed content. I used to pay $50 to get a taxi to the airport. Now I pay $30 with rideshare. We are the wealthiest generation ever. We have electricity, education, healthcare, medicine, hot water, laptops, entertainment, smartphones, international travel and aeroplanes. These things are accessible to the average Australian. Many of these are comforts that most rich ancients could have only ever dreamed about. You see, the issue is that we often think that greed is someone else's problem. It's never me. Can I say I have, humbly, I've been in um, some form of church leadership uh, since I was 17 years old and started my first youth life group. I have never, ever, ever in my life had someone say, I think we need to meet um, can I catch up with you for coffee because I've got a bit of a greed problem? I have never had in my entire life someone... No, no, this, I'm, I'm not joking. This is true. I've never had in my entire life someone come down the front for prayer and say, please, Pastor, can you pray for me? I think I have a greed problem. Never. Can I also say, in case you think, man, you think you're so good, I have never asked anyone to meet with me because I have a greed problem. I have never come forward for prayer saying, God, I've got a, I've got a greed problem. This is the issue is that often we, we, we don't understand or how did I write it? I probably should know. We treat the temptation of greed lightly, but it's not. This point isn't to say that we're all greedy hoarders and we're no good, we need to sell up everything and find a commune and let's go east of Margaret River and whatever or anything like that. No, no. But however, please don't do that. However, our barrier to generosity is often because we don't call out greed in our own hearts. The desire for more surrounds us and is often in us. Jesus talked about greed as a word that he called mammon, which means money, riches, possessions, fame, things that set themselves above God. Jesus says that greed or mammon is actually a rival spiritual power to God. This is Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. My question this morning just on this point is, have you considered the pull of greed in your own life? What, what, what maneuver, remember the 
Remember the, um, the Uda and the Oda? What, what Oda move as you observe, as you orient yourself around the Word of God, as you decide and then act, what maneuver could you make that would take you away from greed and generosity? Remember, we're talking about barriers to generosity. How can we remove that barrier of greed that we, that we just live in? It's in the air we breathe. It's, it's in the water that we swim in, so to speak. How can we remove that barrier and be the generous people that God has called us to be? So barrier one was we treat the, um, we treat the temptation of greed lightly. Number two is we want to possess rather than steward. You know, this is all about how we view what we have. You know, this is applicable to our possessions, our money, where we live, the place that you work, your family, your friends, your gifts, abilities, your talents, all those things. How did you come by those? You're probably thinking, well, I worked hard. I actually studied at school and that's why I got into this or, you know, I, I, I worked my butt off or, I, you know, I had these, I had these different, different things, you know, um, how to get married. Well, I had this amazing pickup line. That's how, I, that's how I got my wife. Like, my pickup line was, I think you're cool. So obviously there is a God because it, because it worked. Um, but, you know, like we, we, we think this is, but really we are not, it's not our ability. We're not the owners, but we are the managers, why is this the case? Because we believe that everything that we have comes from God. And maybe Israel, God's nation in the Old Testament, uh, were having the kind of thoughts that we often have about how much we've done and achieved and made a way for ourselves. When he reminded them this in Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, it says, Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful, or some translations will say to get wealth, uh, to order, um, in order, sorry, to fulfill the covenant he, he confirmed with your ancestors with an oath. Yes, of course, we all play a part in being good stewards of what God has given us, but ultimately everything we believe comes from God. It is He who gives us the power. If we're the steward, then ultimately we're just holding it for our only for a certain time. It's not forever. And so we understand that someone else, and we believe that God has a claim over where our possessions, over where our money, over where our time, over where our words, and all those things go. When we always look to be the owner, sometimes it's often because we're trying to prove to others that we're worthwhile and valuable. Look how important I am. Look what I've got. Look what I, look what I do. But being a steward of what God has given us brings us peace. It brings peace because it means that we're owned by God, we're valuable because God says we are of value, and that we are defined by Him, not by things, not by achievement, and not by success. So, so for you, are there some areas of your life that are, that are off limits to God? What would be the most difficult thing for you to give away? Like, what, why would that be? the most difficult. For some, it may be time. Be like, I am just flat chat. I could not give any time to anyone. For me, it's probably my coffee machine that I got for my 40th last year, you know, but <laughs> please, Lord, don't ask me to give that away. Anyway, you know, but, 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 but what is it? Some of you are thinking, thinking your kids, and you're like, what? I, can, I get to give my kids? No, you don't get to give your kids away. No, no, I'm joking. Uh, I'm, I, I, I'm joking. But the question really gets to the heart of the issue because it's easy to have a biblical understanding of stewardship, but we have to ask ourselves, how is that shown in our lives? Yeah, how is that? Under, yeah, yeah, everything comes from God. I believe it. 
Amen. Great preaching. Feel free to say that more if you want. You know, but you know, like I, I believe it. This is this is great. This is great. Then here's my follow-up challenge for all of us. How is that displayed in our lives? Otherwise, it's like those uh, businesses that you go to and you read their mission statement on the wall and you're like, I did not get that customer service. I did not get that. You know, we, we, we end up living lives like that. So number one, we treat what are our barriers to generosity. Number one, we treat the temptation of greed lightly. Number two, we want to possess rather than steward. Uh, last one, number three, is this. Um, we have an inspired vision, but no plan. Inspired vision, but no plan. Uh, I remember as a, um, as a teenager uh, being at a youth camp, and there was this... Um, this is a youth camp room with teenagers, obviously some youth leaders there as well, but there was this incredible inspired uh, moment of giving. Um, uh, a great woman of God uh, preacher, a lady by the name of Christine Kane, was actually preaching at it, and God, God used her for this, this, incredible, this incredible moment of giving. And so from uh, a, a youth camp of around 400 teenagers, I think it was, there was, there was an offering close to $50,000 was, was given from these, these teenagers and youth leaders to see other young people reach the gospel. It, honestly, it was, it, it, it was, it was supernatural what, what God did. And, and I distinctly remember um, leaving that youth camp uh, with my friend as a sort of 16-year-old and going to the uh, local town that was close by to use the ATM, because back then people still used, you know, a ATMs. I remember going to this ATM, I remember it was Commonwealth Bank one, um, you know, going to the ATM and, and emptying my bank account to give this offering, because I knew that's what God had called me to do. Now, that was easier to do when you're a 16-year-old and you're not paying for food, you don't have a mortgage payment, you don't have, you know, you know what I'm saying, all, all, all these things. And so I, I had this incredible moment, but as I got older, I often struggled in generosity because I would be really inspired to be generous and give beyond and let God move through my life, but I didn't have a plan. I, I, I could no longer just, you know, empty the account and give everything because I felt inspired by God. Why? Because I was the one now paying for the mortgage, for the water bill, for the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and so I think sometimes we get inspired in generosity. We get inspired in vision. But the next question is going to be, like, what's our, what's our plan? And so I've used this a fair amount of times, and this is acronym day, so I apologize for this. But the great Christian thinker Dallas Willard has a great acronym for the process of change and how it works. And um, remember, we're all about breaking these barriers and becoming the people that God has called us to be, a people of generosity. And so his acronym is VIM. Stands for vision, intention, and method. Sometimes the method is called means. But he says this, that after the vision, the next step you need for change is an intention. That is a plan of what you're going to do about this dream, this picture that you feel like God has placed before you. That, 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 can, be, that can be anything. Well, whatever it is that you feel like God's called you to, great, awesome. We want to have an inspired vision. But our next step is we need to have an intention. Uh, maybe Luke can come and join me because that will help me wrap up quicker. Um, Isaiah 32 verse 8 says this, um, But generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. And so you could have a vision for becoming a generous person a great father, a kingdom-minded business person. But the next question you have to ask is how? What steps am I going to take to see that vision become 
a reality. And I don't know about you, but we've all fallen down in some point when it comes to this step. Sometimes, maybe it's because the vision or future looks so far away that we can't comprehend what step we ought to take. Other times, it's after we've started, we're, we're taking steps and it feels like there's no, there's no progress or anything at all. But what we often do is we, we look for the big gains and we forget the power of repeatable, smaller steps that take us forward into what God's called us to. It's a little bit like compounding interest. It doesn't feel like much, but week on, week on, month on, month on, year on, year on, it all makes a difference. We understand that. Maybe if you've got a mortgage with a, you know, interest rates going up, we understand the power in that sense negatively of compounding interest. But in a positive light, we also use the same principle when it comes to our, our change and our progression with God. And so to become who God has called us to be, it'll take intentional steps to get there. So remember, we talked about vim, so it's vision, intention. Last one, method, or sometimes it's called means. Uh, This step is about actually doing the stuff you need to do. I know it sounds simple, but yet sometimes it's so difficult. Maybe you feel like stirred by faith as you've been praying and seeking God for, for, for legacy, and you decide in yourself, yes. I'm gonna, I feel like God's called me to give you know, X amount uh, this year. And then you realize, okay, I'm going to take an intention about that. So to achieve that, I'm going to either use this finance or I'm going to give this amount a, a week. Uh, amazing. But then the final step is that method. That's the going to the internet banking, setting it up. That's the, you know, that, that's, that's the inspiring stuff. It maybe doesn't feel as inspiring as, you know, in worship, oh, God spoke to me and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to do this, or in prayer and God spoke to me. But you know what? There's something powerful about that method, about taking the vision that God's spoken to you, about making an intention about it, and then by actually doing it. Is that, that is breaking down the barriers that often stop our generosity. And there's, I know there's been times for me when I'm like, you know what? Uh, I know what the method needs to be, but I, I just can't get there. I just can't do it. And can I say that's okay? But let's once again allow, allow God to refresh us in vision, refresh us in an intention, and actually do this stuff, have, have a method. Because without a method, the vision is never realized. Somewhere we've got to do the thing that needs to be done. And so as a church across this Month, we want to be inspired by vision. We believe that God's speaking to people. This isn't about an offering. It's about building a life that builds into others. We want to be generous with our time, generous with our possessions, generous with our words, with our finances. But this morning, as I mentioned, we probably all carry some of all these three things in, in all of us. And so what's the Holy Spirit highlighting for you today? What's that? intentional next step to say, you know what, I'm not going to let this barrier, this, this barrier of the pull of greed, I'm not going to let it stop me anymore. This barrier of a desire to, to own rather than understand that I'm a steward and that God gives me everything that I have. Or maybe it's that, just that decision to not just be inspired, but to make, make a plan. You see, we start with small steps that move our trust and reliance away from ourselves and towards God. I'll close with this scripture. Psalm 20 verse 7 says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in Him. 
We trust in Him. That's what we saw at baptism this morning. We saw people saying, yes, I'm trusting my life into the hands of Jesus Christ. That's what we do as we uh, break these barriers to generosity. We say, I'm not relying on myself anymore. God, I'm placing my trust in You. And this morning, one of the greatest decisions, or the greatest, sorry, I should say, decision that you can make is to say, I'm going to put God first in my life. I'm going to take an intentional step to say yes to Jesus Christ. It's what Nick talked about. It's what Kara talked about. It's what Caitlin talked about. It's what we sang about this morning, that we would trust in the name of Jesus Christ. So across this place, I'd love you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we take a moment of prayer. God, we thank you right now for the opportunity to give to you, Lord God, to give our lives, to give our hearts to you, to give all of us to you, Lord God. We just thank you in this moment. God, there may be people here and they've never made that decision to say yes to Jesus Christ.